Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Georgia's anti-abortion law is now in effect. We are overjoyed that the court has paved the way for the implementation of Georgia's Life Act. That was Governor Brian Kemp. He says he's overjoyed. Democrats and abortion uh, rights supporters feel very differently. Welcome to a special edition of Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, welcome. And please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, a federal appeals court on Wednesday allowed Georgia's restrictive abortion law to take effect. Patricia, this was expected, but it's a major momentous development in a day many people, frankly, just didn't think would ever come. Yeah, I mean, it has been nearly five decades since we have been in this kind of uh, world where laws have passed affecting women's lives, and they uh, really, I think many feel like they're not in control of their own lives anymore. So I think it is really sort of an existential moment for a number of women, particularly women who believe very much in abortion access, whether they would want to have an abortion or not, they believe that is their right. They believe that is their daughter's right. However, for the anti-abortion movement, this is the fruition of everything they have ever hoped for, everything they've been working for for decades. And so there is no way to overstate how important this is for uh, politics, for uh, kind of the medical industry here in Georgia, and especially for women's lives. This is a change of really what it means to be a woman in Georgia and who makes the decisions about what that looks like and what that means in terms of women's own ability to make choices in her own life. You know, there's so much to unpack in this special episode. So let's bring in our colleague, Maya T. Prabhu, to break down what happened. Maya's covered abortion-related stories for the AJC for years. She's been with the AJC, how long? Six years? Right, Maya? Almost five. Okay, almost five. five. Time flies. And if you're not following her on Twitter and reading her coverage, you're not getting a complete picture of the abortion debate and the fallout of these decisions. So thank you so much for joining us, Maya. Thank you so much for having me. So Maya, you know, in other states that had so-called trigger laws, their anti-abortion restrictions went into effect right after the Dobbs ruling that overturned the landmark Roe v. Wade case. In Georgia, though, it, it took a few more weeks. So tell us what happened with the legal ruling. Yeah, so the the day that um, the Supreme Court ruled in Dobbs, the appeals court here in Georgia sent a letter out to attorneys on either side of the issue saying, you know, we need you to submit 
supplemental briefs explaining how the Supreme Court decision does or doesn't impact this case. And you have three weeks to do it. And so three weeks was uh, last Friday. They had until midnight to get those documents in. They came in from one side a little after nine and the other side a little after 10. <laughs> so they, they took all of their, all of the time of their three weeks. They put their arguments before the judges and the judges, I guess, took a few days to, to pull their thoughts together. And this afternoon we had, uh, you know, the opinion from the judges saying that the judgment from the lower court should be vacated and that the law should be allowed to go into effect. So Maya, for women who are listening to this or women reading your coverage, which has just been so broad and really outstanding, what does the law say now? What is legal and what is not legal? So there are a lot of pieces to this law. It, it was a big bill in actual like pages, and it was also a big bill in as far as like the impact it's going to have on the state. So, you know, first, everybody focuses on the abortion ban, the ban on the procedure. So this law that is now in effect as of Wednesday bans abortions once fetal cardiac activity can be detected. And that can be as early as six weeks of pregnancy, which we all have to remember, we need to subtract two weeks from that number because it's really four weeks from conception. And so once a doctor can detect fetal cardiac activity, abortions are no longer allowed to take place, except for in the instance of these four exceptions. If the pregnancy came about from rape, if the pregnancy came about from incest, or if the life of the mother is in danger, or if there's a fetal anomaly that the, the fetus would not survive after childbirth. In order to get an abortion post this uh, fetal cardiac activity kind of like line time demarcation, if you've been raped or the, the pregnancy came from incest, you have to file a police report before you can get that abortion. And that is up to, you know, 22 weeks of pregnancy, which is what the law had been up until this ruling, which is 20 weeks, um, you know, gestational age. So that's, that's one piece. So the other piece that people thought might not go into effect, they had a better argument to keep it from going into effect, is what anti-abortion groups call personhood rights, which basically grants the right that you and I have as Georgians to an embryo once it reaches that fetal cardiac activity line of demarcation. And so the argument of the abortion rights advocates is that that opens up a whole can of worms of like, what does this mean? If an embryo or fetus is granted rights as a person, you know, what does that mean? How will the laws on the books be enforced? And what is specifically outlined in the bill that is now a law today is that embryos will be counted in the state's population. Parents can claim embryos on their taxes as dependents, and mothers can file for child support once a doctor can detect fetal cardiac activity. And so now the question becomes, how does the state implement all of those things? Maya, it seems like there's so many legal questions just with the personhood part of this legislation. And as you noted, right, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals said that arguments that, that was unconstitutional, it didn't pass the smell test. So that part goes forward. And that was something you were closely watching 
as well for any implications because, you know, this is going to have far-reaching effect. You know, the headline is the anti-abortion restrictions, but this personhood statute is going to have all sorts of other legal ramifications in Georgia. Yeah, I mean, the next story that I'm working on is kind of like, how is this going to be implemented? I wrote a story in 2019 when the bill passed, kind of looking at some of these things that everybody, I think at the time, was like, oh, this will never go into effect. It doesn't matter. We don't have to really think about it. But now here we are three years later, and you guys need to think about it. Like, how how is this going to work? Like, how is a parent going to claim an embryo as a dependent without a social security number? You know, do does the Department of Revenue have to issue, or, you know, does the state have to issue social security numbers to a fetus? Like, no one really knows, like, all of the implications that could happen. You know, there are concerns about if a pregnant woman is malnourished, you know, does the doctor have to report her for child abuse? You know, it's just where people are confused. Um, and hopefully, you know, as I do this story and you can <laughs> look for it on, over the weekend, you know, we'll get some more answers on that. Um, they've had three years to think about it. And if they weren't actually thinking about it for three years, they should have at least been thinking about it since May. But it's just going to be really, really interesting to see how, you know, the ripple effect of all the ways in which the law is has to be enforced differently now that we have personhood in of a fetus in Georgia. Maya, you could, I think you could take this personhood language to, there are so many questions. You can, uh, you know, I wonder about citizenship of embryos. If somebody comes to the United States, or do they have to be conceived on U.S. soil? I think there are a lot of questions about what happens with IVF. Right now, it's that six-week sort of fetal cardiac activity. What if the legislature wants to move that back? So I've heard a lot of anxiety from IVF doctors. Um, but tell us right now, what is happening with abortion providers? Because I know that you've been in touch with them. How are they reacting? What are they doing right now? Like you said, they've known this was coming. We had a head start of that leak in May. You know, they knew this day was coming, maybe not the personhood part, but they knew that they would not be able to provide abort many abortions anymore. And so there was just, you know, a lot of sadness. You know, this came this ruling came in the middle of the day. There was also a question of timing. Would we have to wait for the lower court judge to reverse his initial ruling? But then the appeals court followed up a couple hours later and issued another <laughs> order saying, no, 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 this goes into effect now. And it's like, okay, so it goes into effect now. And abortion providers were calling patients who had appointments tomorrow and letting them know that they couldn't come in anymore. And so now it's just about retooling. You know, I've, I've spent some time with the folks at the Feminist Women's Health Center who were one of the plaintiffs in this case. And, you know, they offer other services. They offer gynecological services, STD testing, birth control, and they also do like gender confirming treatments. And so they have been very adamant throughout, like they specifically, they're like, we're keeping our doors open and we're going to do everything that we can to continue providing as much care as we can to as many women as we can. And I think that's kind of the sentiment of most of the, of the people, you know, they're devastated, they're gutted. They are very upset that this is what happened, even though they knew it was coming. But it's kind of like, let's just put our heads down and focus on providing the, the best and the most care that we can, you know, within the law that we're able to. 
Maya, one more before we let you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, the ruling, I've never really seen a ruling that referred to um, you know, the abortion providers as abortionists mm-hmm. rather than something like plaintiffs or appellants. That was unique. But what options, what recourse are abortion rights supporters, what are they looking at now? Because this is a fact of law now. So what are the next steps that they're talking about in terms of um, maybe legal avenues or other avenues to try to fight, try to reverse this law? You know, I think they have a little bit of uh, whiplash with the day's events. You know, they haven't said specifically what next steps are going to be, but I know there have been talks of, you know, it's it's possible that they can appeal this ruling and on the the piece of personhood pieces, because that is not something that has been settled by any Supreme Court or the Supreme Court. So they could appeal that piece and take that, you know, try and appeal that up to the Supreme Court. They can also start over and file a lawsuit in state court under the state constitution, which a lot of uh, abortion rights advocates have said, Georgia's state constitution has broader privacy rights than the federal constitution. And so they think that that could be a way to kind of like start this process over and eventually over time get the law overturned in Georgia's Supreme Court. Now we'll see but that happens. A lot of abortion rights folks have just said, this just shows us why, if you're unhappy about what happened today, this just shows why we have to vote, why we have to vote Democrats into office. You know, everybody's saying this is why we need Stacey Abrams to be governor. And so we'll see. We'll see if what becomes of that. You know, we are a ways away from November. But, you know, those are kind of the next steps that people have been talking about, getting out to vote and looking at an avenue with the state constitution and a state lawsuit. Well, Maya, thank you so much for joining us on Politically Georgia. We've talked about what the implications of the ruling and the law are. After the break, we'll talk about the political fallout. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we are back to the special episode of the Politically Georgia podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We are two of the political insiders at the AJC. We're also two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join our community now, this very instant, by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast in your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe that ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. And Patricia, we will have a lot more about the anti-abortion law that went into effect in Georgia because of this federal appeals court ruling and the fallout. And look, you know, Governor Kemp, he 
took a victory lap. It was a muted victory lap because he'd rather be talking about the economy, Joe Biden, these issues. There is a risk for Republicans that this could energize Democrats and really turn the tables. Let's listen to what Governor Kemp said about abortion. Working with the Georgia General Assembly, we have made significant strides on several fronts, such as, such as expanding pregnancy and parental resources, extending health coverage to a full year for mothers after birth, improving the adoption system, and reforming foster care. So, Greg, we heard right there, um, Governor Brian Kemp, he wasn't taking a big victory lap. He wasn't calling it sort of like a victory for life or he wasn't dunking the ball on that. But he certainly was saying, and now we have these other programs to move forward with implementing this law. I think he is really treading very carefully here um, for obvious reason, because the reality is that after that bill passed in 2019, Republicans lost seats in the legislature. Was it over this alone? There's really no way to know that. But they don't have even the same number of votes in the legislature today that they did when they passed this bill. And it passed, as we all know, especially in the House, by just one vote. And so um, I think that Republicans understand that this is really delicate territory. This is the most conservative anti-abortion law that has ever passed since Roe v. Wade was enacted in, in, yeah, in Georgia in 1973 by the Supreme Court. So this is just incredibly new territory. Um, I think politically very dicey. The big question is, obviously, a number of women, moderate women, even maybe some moderate Republican women are going to feel very strongly about this, but are they going to feel strongly about it enough for that to drive their choice in November? That is a huge unknown right now. Democrats feel like they um, have an opportunity here to mobilize voters, to really impress to them. This isn't just an election issue. This is real life. This is real life and you need to choose carefully. Um, so they understand uh, that this is the way to really message those voters. But again, Democrats also don't want to lose sort of the focus on the economy, which polling is telling us is really the number one concern of voters right now. Yeah, one of Governor Kemp's allies says he'd rather talk about anything, uh, even the uh, the price of tofu <laughs> over, over you know this anti-abortion law at this moment, which, by the way, of course, was one of his biggest legislative victories back in 2019. It was the first real big lift he took on in 2019 after he took office. And now we're at the stage where he is not trying to avoid it necessarily, but he'd rather talk about the economy, the issues that, that are still polling the highest among Georgia voters and really national voters, uh, high inflation, high energy prices. Stacey Abrams, she thinks that this is going to reshape the dynamic. You know, she's, of course, also talking about economic issues, but I think it's not an exaggeration to say she was furious today. Let's listen to that audio. I'm not certain if the governor failed biology or simply failed morality, but either way, this law is wrong and it must be struck down and I will be the governor to repeal it. Patricia, that was part of an extended press conference that drew a number of Georgia Democratic leaders candidates for lieutenant governor, secretary of state, legislative candidates, uh, a whole range of Democrats were there to show unity behind abortion rights and fighting to preserve access to abortions. But the truth is, uh, unless there's a legal ruling, in the, and there's an opening for that, but unless there's a legal ruling, even if Stacey Abrams is elected, it's going to be real tough because you've got a Republican, odds are you'll have a Republican-controlled legislature that is not eager to reopen this fight. 
Well, I think that's exactly right. Um, a Republican legislature would not want to go back in and even have this debate more than likely. I think they feel like they have gotten this done. They want to take the win and keep the win. How much would they be willing to do with Stacey Abrams of all people? It's really hard to imagine. And so it really does look like for the near to medium term, uh, no matter who is the governor, this is the law of the land. At that point, it does become really important who the attorney general is, who the district attorneys are, and really what the enforcement of this bill looks like. We just don't know exactly. Um, I talked to Ed Sutzler about the bill itself. Um, the penalty for doctors is, a, he the way he described it as a one to 10 felony, one to 10 years in jail for doctors. He said, but most important, it's really the licensing for doctors. Um, that is important for who the governor is. I will say that because those appointments start to become very important depending on who's in the governor's mansion and how is that enforced at the licensing stage for the, for the boards as well. And so it's just an, a huge unknown and it makes it actually incredibly difficult to message on for these candidates and these campaigns. But we heard there from Stacey Abrams, there's really no great area. I mean, that sounded just like pure emotion. I think she um, sees the need to match activist emotion. This really is a moment that none of them really believed would happen, especially younger voters. I don't think they ever believed this would really happen. And in a way that uh, that Republicans and anti-abortion activists have made this their job number one, Democrats really never have. It doesn't feel like that this has been their top priority in past elections. We could be seeing a change to that here. But again, we're going to have to get a lot closer to November to really understand how this shakes out politically. And that the reality is that will really will determine on how uh, how campaigns and candidates message on this as well. Yeah, dear listeners, we wish we had all the answers. We wish we could tell you how it'll shake out, but it is hard to predict these things. We know polls. We know, for instance, the AARP Georgia poll that just came out last week, and it's done by a very respected pollster who is actually Joe Biden's pollster. It showed that the economy was by far the biggest issue for Georgia voters. It was about 40%. And it had abortion about 11%, guns about the same proportion. Doesn't mean it's not an important issue. you know. And for many of those voters who said economy was number one, abortion could have been number two, right? We just don't know to that granular detail. But what we do know is that pocketbook issues, inflation, high energy prices are helping to shape the election. And we're not sure how this ruling will play out. We have Republicans who are very confident that inflation will remain one of the top issues. And we have Democrats who are also leaning into the economic argument. They're trying to show their alternative policies and how they'd handle inflation, high energy prices and the like. But they're also saying, hey, this is a sign we need new leadership. And when I asked Stacey Abrams about what she would do as governor with a Republican legislature to try to reverse the abortion law, here's what she said. We believe that with a victory, should I become governor, I will become governor with a full slate of legislative leaders. But we know that that bill passed in the House by one vote. We know that it barely passed the Senate. And we know that many of those who advocated for those decisions are no longer going to be with us. But we also know that when the women of Georgia, when the people of Georgia speak up, we can reverse that law. That law is going to put women in danger. And for the next 16 weeks, we are going to hear story after story just like we're hearing in Texas and in Indiana and in Ohio of women who are being forced to make draconian choices because the governors of those states do not trust them to be full, thoughtful humans. And so I believe very much so that we can not only reverse that law, but that it can be one of the first acts we take up when I become governor of Georgia. 
So Patricia, this is a Democrat who wants to expand Medicaid, who wants to give teachers pay raises, law enforcement officials pay raises, and says that reversing this anti-abortion law will be one of her first priorities. So it's it's going to be a packed agenda should she be elected. But to me, this also signaled, it sounds like, a new phase of her campaign. She said, we'll hear story after story after story of how this anti-abortion law is affecting women. And we know from our colleagues at the AJC, we've already seen reports about abortion clinics who had to turn away appointments already immediately. Others who are getting fielding calls from women who or, you know, who just had unprotected sex and are worried that they're pregnant, but they don't even have a positive pregnancy test yet. So there is a level of, I don't know, want to say chaos, but just concern. One source described it as just a gray area, this gray feeling out there, just this uncertainty out there, um, because we are in new territory in Georgia. And I think she makes a really good point in terms of the number of stories that are going to come out um, in and we're going to hear about women who are not able to access abortion. Are they in a situation that um, is not covered by one of the four exceptions in the Georgia law? Are there going to be IVF doctors that choose to stop practicing in Georgia because of Georgia's state law? I think the implementation of this and the immediate effects are going to be hugely important in terms of people's reaction to it. Are Georgians going to see that it's been implemented and the exceptions cover enough for them to be comfortable? Or are they going to hear stories, not just in the news, but from people they know? Are they going to watch friends and family deal with this and have really uh, difficult or dangerous or deadly consequences? That could change everything. And so obviously, our reporting on this is going to be hugely important. People's own experiences are are bound to happen. I mean, this is a, a law that affects so many people and people who don't yet even know they're going to be in a situation where they may have been seeking an abortion. So there's just again, we talk about the the number of unknowns here. This is just um, really uncharted territory. I think also for that U.S. Senate race, um, it's going to be time to really start to dig into the specifics on uh, the senator's positions. I think that Herschel Walker has it's a he has really advocated for a full abortion ban. That is a position that we have not really heard from a statewide candidate at this level ever. And uh, But that's a position that he took early. That starts to make a lot of difference when you're talking about a 50-50 Senate. And so that will, I think, play into people's choices in that uh, Senate race as well. When Herschel Walker was asked at a campaign stop in Athens earlier before the ruling about whether or not he pushed a full abortion ban in the U.S. Senate, uh, as a federal law, he sidestepped, dodged. He basically said he won't deal in hypotheticals and then and then didn't elaborate. But that is something we'll be closely watching and covering and pressing the candidates on. We also have asked Senator Warnock if he would support any sort of uh, limitations on abortion, if there's a line. And he, and he also wasn't willing to go there as well. But as Patricia mentioned, there's so much more to unpack and, and uncover and follow with this story. It, it, is, it is truly a... Uh, a different chapter in the Georgia political landscape and in the social landscape and the cultural landscape and the healthcare landscape. So we are uh, treading new ground here and we appreciate all of our listeners for spending time with us on this special edition of Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes of this podcast to come out every Wednesday and Friday, or as those of you listening understand completely, whenever big news breaks. We will see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our
Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. 